Welcome to the Area First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We're in the third and final week of a roundtable discussion about the final days of Christ's life before the crucifixion. We call this series Once and for All, and we've been listening to Pastor Nicole, along with Pastor Quint Lindblad and Lori Pickens, discuss the importance of the Last Supper and the Garden of Gethsemane, both in the context of the life of Jesus and in our lives today. In today's conversation, they'll be talking about the way that two of Jesus' disciples betrayed him in his final days and how the difference in their stories give us a better understanding about forgiveness and following Jesus. So let's get started today and see how Jesus overcame betrayal and sin once and for all. Here's Pastor Nicole. So this is our third week. We were just kind of reflecting on that uh, earlier today, uh, that we've been approaching this message in a table talk point of view. Uh, next week, Pastor Quint will preach on Palm Sunday about um, the, the, a moment in Jesus' life. And then on Easter Sunday, I'll be able to share with you. Uh, but this was fun. I, I've enjoyed it. I hope you guys have enjoyed some different perspectives uh, of hearing about these, uh, the life of Christ in the final three days on earth before the, before the crucifixion. Have you enjoyed it? Are you asking me if I've, I've enjoyed it thoroughly? Have, have you enjoyed it? Okay. Really, the question, whether we enjoy it or not, really, it's, it's about you enjoying it. It's a, so. it's, it's a smattering. Um, so we started talking about the Last Supper. Uh, last week, we looked at the Garden of Gethsemane. And today, we're going to focus on two specific men in the life of Jesus, uh, Judas and Peter. So... Um, really talking about the rejection of Jesus. And so uh, these three days in Jesus' life fulfilled many, many prophecies um, that were given about Jesus in the Old Testament. And this particular one, I don't know, I don't feel like it gets a lot of airtime. We don't discuss this particular prophecy a lot, but it comes out of Isaiah 53, 3, and it's talking about Jesus. So I want to read it to you. It says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. And so basically this scripture is saying that uh, Jesus was going to be rejected and despised on many levels. And so I was thinking about this a little bit. And it's interesting because Jesus was from Galilee, which is an area of Israel um, that actually was often very disrespected. There wasn't a high reputation uh, it, of Galilee. It wasn't like the place that people really thought highly of. And then the town Nazareth, which, which was in the area of Galilee, uh, was actually not well-known or well-liked by the people in that time. In John uh, 1, verse 46, the Israelites actually would say things like this, can anything good come from Nazareth? Yeah, so, so even in his birthplace, there was rejection. So even in that area he was born, it's fulfilling this prophecy. Uh, we also know Jesus was despised and hated by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, other Jewish people. Uh, and even though Jesus continued to show himself to be the Messiah and he was kind and loving to everyone, these people just simply refused to believe him or accept him. I mean, they, they just rejected him. I think often, you know, because we're in this setting and we're all here to worship Jesus, right? We want to be with Jesus. We think maybe Jesus was liked then, but really he was very uh, rejected by people. He was not, he was not accepted. And as Jesus' life unfolded, uh, eventually the Romans get involved. Uh, they follow the same train of thought. They, uh, in fact, they make false charges against him. 
they demand that Jesus be subjected to a painful, torturous death, and he is just despised and rejected over and over again. Now, I think uh, there's one thing to say about strangers rejecting Jesus and, and uh, you know, certain areas of the world, but authorities treated him unfairly. But also, uh, we see that some of Jesus' closest friends hurt him. And, you know, I, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. It, it's painful when someone is critical or hurtful from a distance. You know, that's, that's painful. It's painful when you uh, read a Facebook comment that you don't even know the person, but they say something about something you did or said. That, that hurts a little bit. That stings. Or even um, when someone doesn't like you and you don't even know why, that's, that's tough. It's tough to swallow. But that pain becomes so much more real, so much more damaging when it comes from a friend, when it comes from a family member, when it's someone close to you. Uh, I, I don't know. Can you think of a time that that's happened to you? I won't, obviously won't ask you guys to share, but uh, can you even, as you're listening, think of a time where a stranger could have said the very same thing, but the fact that it came from a friend, like that, that really hurt, that criticism or that uh, that experience. And, and so the prophecy in Isaiah says that Jesus was a man familiar with pain. So if you're here today and you would say, I know the pain of rejection, I know the pain of betrayal, I know the pain of a friend shutting me out or, or a family member that won't speak to me or heartache. Uh, Jesus was a man familiar with that pain too. And he, he relates to that, to us in that way. He can speak to that. He can meet us in those moments. Uh, Jesus had 12 disciples. He had 12 men he did his life with. He taught them. He ate with them. He shared with them. And on the night of the Passover of the Last Supper, I would almost, uh, you know, like the biggest night, right, game day, when this all begins, two of the 12 choose to betray him. And so I asked Lori and Pastor Quint to just briefly kind of tell us about the final moments in Christ's life uh, with these particular characters. So Lori, do you want to start us off with the first Great. traitor? Sure. <laughs> I'm going to share today a little bit about Judas. Okay. We all want a Judas in our life, right? Exactly. No. Nobody wants Judas as a friend. As a matter of fact, when I was like researching, I think like something said, how many people do you know named Judas? I was like cracking up like, I, I guess I don't know anybody named Judas. Yeah, we, we name our sons after all the other disciples. After just everyone not else. Judas. <laughs> so I like thought that was funny, but... Um, I can remember always being told that uh, one of God's greatest resources are people. And so when I was like studying this, I was just like, okay, so where does Judas fall at? Like, what's the resource that Judas brings to our life? Because actually, I don't really want a Judas around, right? And at best, the best thing I could come up with was stretching your heart muscle, okay? Uh, teaching forgiveness on a whole nother level. Right, it's really showing us like where we fall at on the spectrum of how we love, right, our enemy and our neighbor, right? And so as people, we long for relationships in general, friendships. We long for the good ones though, right? We long for genuine people, honest people, right? Authentic people, that's what we want. I mean, I don't think we literally walk around like, okay, how can I find me a traitor? Like, that's all I want. As my friend, I, where is the liar? That's who I'm looking for as my friend, right? That's, we don't just innately look for that, right? We look for the better traits and the good characteristics. But 
I feel like all along, Jesus knew these traits of Judas, okay? And all of these traits, none of us like, none of us necessarily want because they bring pain and they damage, as Pastor Nicole has already alluded to, right? That's what we just reflected on. Um, But here it is, all along, Jesus was demonstrating, as he has consistently been, okay? So the question that I was raising was, well, why did you keep him around, right? But I think in reality, it was necessary for the the fulfillment of Jesus's story in the earth, right? Like to let us know, like, I know it's difficult, I know it's hard, and I know it hurts, but it's going to bring out the greater version of you, okay? So Judas is around, right? Not for you. It's almost like Judas is going to show us where we are, and so then we got to circle back to Jesus so Jesus can help us get to where he is, right? And so... I just want to talk about two very evident traits that Judas showed. And so I'm going to start off with exhibit A, a traitor. <laughs> a traitor, okay. So in Matthew 26, 47 to 50, uh, it says, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12 arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now, the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Go at once to Jesus. So going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the man stepped stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. A traitor. A traitor, by definition, is a person or anyone who betrays someone's trust or person for selfish and ulterior motives. Like, you'll do whatever you got to do. You'll slight your friends. You'll, you'll hurt someone. You, you'll undermine, right, to get whatever it is in your heart that you're hungry after, irregardless of the outcome or the feelings or the thoughts of the next person, okay? And so nothing about Judas caught Jesus by surprise, But here it is, Jesus still kept him at the table, right? He still broke bread with him and did communion with him, as we discussed two weeks ago, right? And so Judas, as as much as like he, he was a disciple, he also was demonstrating his inability to acknowledge Jesus as the Christ, okay? So when he approached Jesus, he acknowledged him as rabbi. So he acknowledged him for his good deeds and, and the things that he was able to do, but not for being the Christ, Okay, and that that changes the nature of how easily you can slip into something because when you didn't acknowledge him as Christ, then it was easy to trade him off. Okay, and so I think that when we when we look at Jesus, and I mean when we look at Jesus and we see how he walked the earth, making moves that required us to acknowledge him as Christ, but Judas following him, sitting with him, didn't do that very thing. The next trait. Exhibit B, greed. <laughs> I like love that I'm saying it like that because I hear, ooh. <laughs> it sounds more serious when you say it like that. Um, but it actually is a very serious thing, right? Greed. Um, and so we're going to talk uh, very briefly on Matthew 26, verse 15. And it says, and he asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver, right? Jesus, totally flawless, savior of the world, friend of the betrayer, and he was willing to trade Jesus out 
for 30 pieces of silver because that's where greed will take us, right? It, it can turn us easily into a traitor to get what we want, okay? And so even when we, we look at the fact that he was willing to trade Jesus out, but think back to the woman with the alabaster box, okay? And Judas thought that was insane. He was like, why would you waste that precious oil? You know how much you could have gotten for that. He was concerned about what that was worth, the expense, the price, and, and the money gain. Meanwhile, he didn't even understand the sacrifice that this woman was pouring out because she believed and trusted who Jesus the Christ truly was, right? And so when we are dealing with greed, Judas, Judas is concerned about a financial gain, not the ultimate gain of being a follower of the Son of Man, the Son of God in the earth, right? And so I really believe that Jesus was setting the stage for us two weeks ago, right, when we started talking about the table, right? Because he was just letting us know, inevitably, we are going to meet people like Judas in our life, okay? They will probably be at your job. They will be in the church. They will be in the grocery store. They'll be in your family, okay? And Jesus is like, I still set the table, I still broke the bread, right? I still offered Christ. I still offered who I authentically came into this earth to be to Judas. Judas had to make the choice, right? And so for us, he's just like, I'm trying to show you, you don't get to get around them, right? We can set all the barricades up that we want. They're going to come on in, right? But then our next test is going to be, did we, like, when we, when we ate the bread, right, the word of truth, did we take it into our hearts, because at the end of the day, that was the thing that led Judas astray, right? And so before he, before he betrayed Jesus indeed, right, Judas betrayed Jesus in his heart, okay? He, he, the kiss isn't what, what showed the betrayal. Jesus already knew the greed and the traitor was already in the heart of Judas. He just acted out on it once the, the wealth showed up before him, okay? What he could get is what made what was intensely in his heart come out, okay? And so Judas was, Judas was more than, uh, he was doing more than just giving up Jesus to authorities, right? He did it under circumstances of treachery, right, which modified his character, okay? He took advantage of his relationship with Jesus as a disciple. He gave him into the hands of his enemies. Uh, he did it so cunningly. He did it at night. And he did it by a kiss, which conveyed, a which conveyed affection and friendliness, right? He did it for money, but he knew that Jesus was innocent. Greed and a traitor. Judas. None of us are looking for one. Wow. Wow, wow. So good. Um, really, it's that. What you just talked about was just how familiar he got, he let himself get with Jesus so that he stopped seeing him for Jesus as the Messiah. That's so, so good. I want to talk uh, real quick this morning about Peter, um, whose betrayal was, uh, his denial is actually what, what Peter did. So I guess it would be far less than a betrayal, but still sobering to look at. And so let me just read to you from uh, John chapter 13, just a couple sections, six, verses 6 through 11 and then 34 through 38. Uh, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. 
Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Obviously referring to Judas. If we jump down to verse 34, very similar situation. Uh, It says, uh, Jesus is speaking. He says, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter has this way about him. Do you mind setting that over there? Peter has this way about him of just always missing the point, okay? I heard a a sermon from Pastor Brad Leach about a year ago. He's an Assemblies of God pastor out near Philadelphia, and he was talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. If you remember that scene, you can find it over in Matthew 17. But Jesus brings uh, Peter, James, and John up on a mountain, and once they arrive there, Christ's very appearance changes, okay? He's then joined by God the Father and the Holy Spirit, and this moment is so pure and so holy. And as Pastor Brad uh, said it, he, he said it so well. He said, all that was missing from this holy moment was some commentary from Peter, right? Because then Peter chimes in and he says, oh, maybe we could build some tents, a tabernacle. And he's experiencing that he's invited into this most personal and amazing moment. And yet he just misses the point and he makes it about something so, so different. And that's not the only time. I just read you two examples. In Matthew 16, just the chapter before, we see the exact same thing. He, he almost fights with Jesus on the topic of the crucifixion right after Jesus had, Jesus had told him, God bless you, son of, son of Jonah. Uh, you did not know these things on your own. The Lord has revealed them to, to you. And just a few verses later, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because like Peter is just so, he's always just resisting the plan or thinks he's like a step ahead of Jesus. Like it just doesn't make sense. And so I think, you know, Lori said it last week. She said, Jesus had this flawless track record. Everything he said was facts. Everything he said was facts. And yet somehow for Peter, he had this impossible struggle to just feel the room. Okay, just feel the room. You're in the room with Jesus just don't talk. You don't need to talk. We, you don't need to share. Just listen and learn, right? And, and so he just wouldn't let Jesus do the Messiah thing while he took it all in, all right? And we, we see this on display this final time at the Last Supper. He's insisting to Jesus, I'll fight for you. I will even die for you. And Jesus has to break it to him that he will, in fact, deny Christ three times that very night. I think um, we alluded to, the, to this in week one of our series, but I do believe it can be somewhat easy for us, and, and Nicole just uh, mentioned this earlier. You know, we're all here, we're on team Jesus, we're here to worship Jesus, and it can be easy for us to like read these as historical facts and stories and just like, I would never do that. Wow, I wouldn't have done that. I, I wouldn't have missed the point. I would have been able to feel the room, okay? But the truth is, these 12 apostles had the closest relationship possible with Jesus. And for a couple of them, it wasn't enough to ensure perfect behavior, okay? It wasn't enough for the moment 
to not overtake them. And that is obviously a very sobering thought. In just a few moments, we're going to sing a song, and it has this lyric in it. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. And, and like I said, it's a sobering thought, but anytime I, I hear this song or the many times I've led this song, honestly, I don't fight it, okay? I don't uh, run to a stance similar to Peter's that would say, whoa, 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 not my voice, not my voice calling out among the scoffers. Yo, that, not me, definitely not me. I just kind of sit with it because I don't know what I would have done. And you don't know what you would have done. And we don't know what we would have done in those dark and harrowing moments. And, and so sometimes I think, you know, obviously we hope and we pray that we would have been strong and courageous and bold. But the reality is that no matter what, even if our voice didn't call out among those scoffers, the truth that we all know to be true is that it still would have been our sin upon his shoulders. The first line, behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Even if I had kept silent, it was still my sin, your sin, our sin, that put him on that cross. Sin is anything that we do that breaks the Father's heart and distances us from relationship with him, okay? And it is those things that we have committed or continue to commit that put Jesus on that cross. So even with perfect behavior, perfect response, perfect attendance at church, perfect check marks on your Lent card that Pastor Nicole gave you three weeks ago to tell everybody you've been praying for him for 40 straight days, okay? Even with perfection on all those things, we still need his forgiveness. And we see that in Peter. We see that as close as Peter was, he still missed it, and he still needed Christ's forgiveness, and so do we. Peter did not disqualify himself from being used by God, miraculously, right? In fact, he went on to be a pillar of the early church. He wrote letters that are in the New Testament that we learned from today. They're part of our Bible. He was a redemption story from start to finish, but don't miss this point. He's also a warning for us that it is not our level of proximity to Jesus that determines our behavior. It is the depth of our relationship. It is not our level of proximity to Jesus that determines our behavior. It is the depth of our relationship with him. So good. So two men, two betrayals or denials, interestingly, two different outcomes. We didn't really cover this, but Lori, tell, in case people are not familiar, what, what is Judas's end uh, as you studied? At the end. Um, yeah. So if, after he was like super remorseful because he knew that Jesus was innocent, then he went and hung himself. Yeah. So Judas uh, ends in tragedy and death. Peter uh, is able to come to the Lord in repentance and, and God restores him and then he goes on to be used. Uh, but really, between both of these stories of rejection, there's one lesson, and that's this. Jesus is Lord, and he stands ready to forgive us. And if we come to him in faith and repentance, he has done all the work on the cross already, and he wants to bridge the gap between our mistakes and his holiness. That's what he wants for us. You know, I was thinking about 
that prophecy in Isaiah 53 that I started with and how I can point to so many groups of people, Sadducees, Pharisees, Romans, Peter, Judas, right? I can point to all that. Do you know that still today that prophecy is coming to pass? Many people still reject Jesus today. They still reject Jesus as their savior. They still turn down his offer of relationship and eternal life to them. And you know what Jesus does? He continues to call us. <laughs> he continues to seek each of us. He wants to provide salvation for each of our souls. And he's ready to forgive us no matter what we've done. And if we've come in repentance and faith, God meets us in that space. That's what, that's what he promises. And and I just don't even want to go any further except to say if you're here today and, and you have maybe rejected Jesus either outwardly or inwardly, maybe there's some resistance in your heart uh, to having relationship with God. Maybe you feel like you've done something too wrong. I'm sure that's what Judas felt. I'm sure that's what Peter felt at times. I've gone too far. I've been too wrong. I've, I've drifted too far away. I'm never going to be able to get back to that life. I want you to know that Jesus wants to be Lord of your life and Savior of your soul. That's what he wants. He, he has Amen. never written you off. It is never too late. He always wants that, and he wants you to come into relationship with him. And, and I just want to encourage you today, if that's you, before you leave this building, uh, visit the prayer tables to my right and to my left. We want to help you walk through that decision to follow Jesus. That is absolutely the most important thing that we're going to talk about today. Um, and there's one other just uh, a way that we can respond uh, to this uh, rejection of Jesus. The first very much is to make sure we don't reject Jesus ourselves. okay? The second thing that we can, if you are a follower of Christ, as we look at Judas and look at Peter and understand all of this, uh, we are called as believers in Jesus to respond to people who reject and hurt us the same way that Jesus did. Now everyone just go like, oof, okay? Because that is not an easy thing. But Christianity is primarily about forgiveness. And we have to be forgiving, gracious people if we are like Jesus. We cannot hold grudges, shut people out, uh, never let any, someone have forgiveness, not be gracious. We cannot and say we're followers of Jesus. Hands down, we can't do it. And there is no one else who suffered more terribly than Jesus. There's no one else who had a greater excuse to blame others. There's no one else who was treated more unfairly than Jesus. He was perfect. Uh, but yet he, he was crucified on a cross for something he never did or said or thought. But it's so interesting because if you remember, what does Jesus do in the face of all of this betrayal and deception and pain? What does he do when Judas betrays him for a kiss? And I noticed in that passage today, he called him friend. Did you hear that? He called him friend. But what does he do to Peter who denies him? This is what he does. He prays on the cross and he says in Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father... Forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And so Jesus, he walks in personal forgiveness towards all of those agents of his suffering, and he asks God to forgive them too. Father, forgive them. It's such a powerful prayer. Uh, Father, forgive them. It opens the door to healing for you. It doesn't uh, say that your hurt is not important or that your hurt is uh, not justified or viable. 
That is not what asking forgiveness for you to forgive someone is. There is a direct connection between our personal spiritual health and our willingness to forgive those who have sinned against us. Unforgiveness will block, offense will steal our anointing right out from underneath us. Uh, unforgiveness will block the blessing, the favor, the peace, the presence of God that we all need. That, that does that. And, and we need to bring our pain and our wounds and our heartache and our offenses to the feet of Jesus. And we have to cry out, Father, forgive them. And, and you know, you might be thinking, okay, yeah, but like there's these certain things that are just very, very difficult. I've been very, very hurt. I've been very, very mistreated. And, and again, we're not saying any of that is um, unimportant or, or, or isn't affecting you, but we can forgive because we are forgiven. And forgiven people forgive people. Amen. Amen. That's the thing. Like forgiven people forgive people. And we're forgiven people of a, of a whole lot of stuff, of betrayal, of, of denial, of things we've done to the Lord Jesus Christ over and over and over. And God just continues to pour out his grace and his love to us and continues to draw us closer. And so because of that, forgiven people forgive people. Yeah. We asked Pastor Quint to lead us in this song this morning. It just talks about the depth of the forgiveness of the love that Christ had for us on the cross. And as we sing it, I, I want to encourage you um, just to reflect on your own life. This is kind of a, a personal moment maybe between you and the Lord through this song. And I encourage you to just think of the hurt, the pain, the rejection, the offenses that you have, and just bring them to the feet of Jesus. Just bring them to the feet of Jesus and ask God to give you the strength to forgive. Jesus understands your hurt and your pain deeper than I'll ever understand, deeper than anyone in your life will ever understand. Jesus understands. But what Jesus says, what do you do with that hurt and that offense and that pain is you bring it to the feet of Jesus because forgiven people forgive people. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That He should give His only Son To make a wretch His Sin upon his shore. 
listening to the Eerie First Podcast. We'd love it if you'd give us a rating and a review on your podcast app, and please subscribe so you never miss a message. You can follow Eerie First on Facebook or Instagram, or visit eeriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.